it's fun to play the villain. I mean, he's, he's the ultimate badass set. He's so incredibly dangerous. He's so in, in, incredibly angry, and yet it's composed. And he is, he's a weapon personified. And it's not always in his power, but he has incredible power. You know, I mean, he can kick anybody's ass and love doing it. But at the same time, he's resourceful, he's charming, he's manipulative, he's cunning. But I also wanted to put in there humor and, and, and vulnerability and, and sadness and loneliness because he has all of those things. Film fans, welcome back to a brand new episode of Not a Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about movies that bombed in the movie theaters, or maybe the critics didn't like. Brad, boy, um, we're doing something completely different from last week, right? I, that is one of the things I love the most about doing this podcast. Not only do I get to t- talk to you every week, but we like to change up the films that we do. Uh, last week, we did a Hong Kong film that hardly anyone uh, had seen yeah. in Limbo. And this week, we did another film that hardly anyone saw, <laughs> but uh, a little bit bigger budget. We are doing 19, or 19, tw- uh, 2016's action fantasy film, Gods of Egypt, or as I like to call it, Troy, Gods of Cleavage, because holy cow. Oh, yeah. Gerard Butler does show a lot of cleavage in this yeah. film. <laughs> <laughs> you know how females on, you know, anytime a female is on screen, you know what they're doing? What? Showing their boobers. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know that. That seems to be a common theme with a lot of, um, I don't know, sword and sandal films. I know, especially from the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure that's going to come up at some point is a comparison sure. of this thing to, I don't know, death stalker or whatever it is from the eighties, but, or maybe like 300, if you, will. <laughs> or maybe 300, I don't know. Uh, yeah, let's just, let's get right into it. I'm, I'm, this is one of those films, uh, you picked. I'm really, well, first of all, why did you pick this? I'm really curious. So I saw this, this was the last sort of like eight months, uh, before my first, my, my son was born. Mm. And so I was trying to get in like all the movie going I, I could, because I knew as soon as the baby's born, it's going to be a little bit difficult. Oh, so you, and you went to the theaters to see I this. did go to this theater. I was one of the ones that went to the theater to see this, okay. uh, cause I was like, look, I, I've got to go. I've got to get it all in because the next nine months uh, after he's born, it's going to be rough. And uh, I, I I got a lot of stuff in. Okay. So that's why you picked it is because you saw it in the theater. I didn't know I if this saw was it a... The, so I, I saw it in the theater and I was like, was it that I just was having fun at the theater or what? Because I had kind of remembered liking this. Okay. And then... A few years, I, what is time right now? I don't know. But during COVID, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I'll throw this on again. I, I I, liked it in the theater. And I did not make it all the way through, Troy. So oh this time sitting down, I was like, okay, we, we're going to do it for the podcast. I want to see if this thing holds up seven years after its release. Seven it's, years. So this, this genre. Oh, almost, this... I'm sorry, almost eight years. Oh, my God. Yeah. So you, I know you're a big sci-fi guy. 
Uh-huh. I, yeah. I think between the two of us, though, you, you don't traditionally do a lot of, um, I, I mean, you didn't grow up playing Dungeons & Dragons, tabletop RPG, stuff like that, but... <laughs> I, I only paint the figurines. George. You only paint the figurines. <laughs> um, is this a genre that you like or have an affection for? So I like Egyptian lore, okay. if you will. Uh, I I am an apologist for the movie Stargate. Uh, it's, and okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I like this. Um, the One of the Assassin's Creed games was set in Egypt, and I... I must have put 150 hours in that game. I played everything. Oh boy! So I do like Egyptian stuff. Um, you know, their all their mythology and their gods are really interesting. Um, and so I was hoping, you know, to get to talk about that. But this really doesn't have a whole lot. You know, it does a little. It bit, surprisingly but- does. We'll we'll get there. But yep. let's go back to 2016 when this was released. I mean, there's. <laughs> There's a lot to this thing, um, to be quite honest, when you when we get to production and development. But, I mean, the reason why this thing is here is is really it meets the criteria of two conditions. Not only did it bomb at the box office, but, man, the critics really hated this thing, right? They did. Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, released February 26th of 2016 with a reported budget of $140 million. Dollars. Where did it go? Oh boy. If you're at Lionsgate, or I'm sorry, the production company was Summit Entertainment. So Troy, you yeah. and I are on the board. We're we're you know, we're 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 C suite guys. Mm-hmm. And someone says, Hey, I got an idea. I want to make a hundred and forty million dollar Egyptian fantasy film. I would say the fuck you are. Well Here's seventy million dollars and figure it out. They, uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. I, I think they, they pitched it as we want to make a $140 million movie. Don't worry. There's tax credits. Mm, yeah. They're yeah. they're Okay. Yes. So <laughs> some of this stuff is not exactly all the money they lost, but anyway, uh, box office domestically, Troy, I'm going to say a number and you tell me if it's, uh, over or under, did this make more than $40 million at the box office domestically or less? In the U.S. domestically, I would say it made less. It made less. It okay. made $31.1 million domestically. <laughs> wow. Holy crap. Um, internationally fares way better. 119.5 for a grand total of 150.68. Remember, that's on a $140 million budget. So we're looking probably, you know, 250 to 280 all in with advertising. So yeah. Because yeah, I think Lionsgate, Lionsgate still managed to lose like $90 million on this. Yeah, even with all the credits and stuff. Um, yeah. Opening weekend, there's a big problem for this film. Yeah. And we will get to it. Opening weekend, it makes $14 million. That's good enough for second place. Troy, it comes out the same time, one week after Deadpool. Ooh, Deadpool yeah, that's where your audience much. went. There you go. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. I saw Deadpool t- twice. I saw it the week <laughs> of course. that it came out. And I saw it the week of this weekend because then I saw Gods of Egypt right after that. So I was back to back. Yeah. Um, you have already spoiled this, but critically, Gods of Egypt sits at a 14% critically. Yeah, it's a low one. 14. Uh, that's one of our lower ones we've done. Audience fares a little bit better with 37. 37? That's not even half. Troy, my girlfriend sucked 37 dicks. <laughs> and then you say in a row in a row that's, that's okay. a, it's clerks yeah uh yeah so 37 percent not great additionally uh troy yep 
our friends over at Movie Guide Ooh. have yeah. a problem with uh, with Gods of Egypt. I bet they here's, do. Here's their tagline: "Tall Tales from Egypt." <laughs> of course, because of course it is. Yep, totally yep. unbelievable. Uh, and so Troy, uh, we are looking at a negative two for Gods of Egypt. Oh, are are you ready? I'm ready. <clears throat> okay. Troy, our favorite first line. Strong pagan worldview involving pagan Egyptian mythology and polytheism, migrated, oh, mitigated by some moral redemptive elements, including redemptive, making amends, and a theme of resurrection within a mythological Egyptian context, which some believe is a clear influence from the Hebrews who lived among the Egyptians in ancient times before Moses. Did you get that, Troy? Did you I, get the most? Yeah, I didn't yeah. get any of that, to be quite honest. No. Uh, an obscenity is uttered by an Egyptian uh, god character. Multiple acts of strong action violence, including murder and killing in battle. And humans, creatures, and gods are killed by various methods, including stabbings with swords and knives. Bull- <laughs> I'm sorry. I just think that's funny. Uh, and crushing. Well, and, and ripping in- brains out too, right? Yep. Yep, uh, being impaled and falling into abysses. Abyss, abyssi? Abysses? Abyssi? Uh, plus, a minotaur's head is decapitated. Implied fornication? Brief, brief nudity of a female's back? Wait. Wait a minute. <laughs> nudity of a female's back, okay. Female back, okay. Upper male nudity. Lots of it, yep. But nothing explicit. No alcohol, no smoking or drugs. Uh, and deceit, lying, Greed, stealing, and revenge. Ooh. And a negative <clears throat> two, huh? Okay. Negative two. Well, I mean, the strong action. And, you know, there's many gods. Polytheism will get you a negative two right off the bat. And films you could have seen February of 2016. We have The Choice, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, Hail Caesar, Deadpool, Zoolander 2, How to Be Single, Race, Risen, triple nine and eddie the eagle there's some good releases that triple nine a gerard butler movie too am i thinking uh, the right one or is that something that's else the, that's the i'm what is in that that's the i must be thinking of no, casey else. affleck that's oh i'm thinking one. of den of thieves for some reason den of thieves yes okay yes all right never mind yeah oh gerard butler is looking rough in den of thieves yeah Ooh, boy. it's such okay. a fun film though it is. Well, let's let's talk about the people who made this thing. Brad, if I told you that the guy who directed The Crow in Dark City did Gods of Egypt, would you believe me? I would say I do believe you because I knew that. But I would say, Troy, uh, everything after, I guess, no, well, including knowing, was a bit of a drop-off. Okay, yeah. Well, the drop-off. It's a rough patch. So we're talking about director Alex Proyas. I love, I love The Crow, and I totally love dark city i'm there with you so a little bit about this director i i found some of this information kind of fascinating so alex is born to greek parents in egypt and he relocated to australia with his family when he was three years old i had always thought he was just an australian director but no that that's his uh, i mean (laughs) greek descent who lived in egypt so obviously he had you know probably some interest in this material Mm mm-hmm He attended the Australian film television and radio school and started working on short films in 1980, eventually moved into commercials and music videos. 
So a lot of his music videos, just just here are some names that he's worked with. In Excess, Crowded House. Wait, wait, wait. In Excess. In Excess. In Excess. Yes. Sorry. In okay. Excess. Crowded House, Fleetwood. You're sitting here critiquing me after I have to listen. You struggle with that movie guide review. Well, so, I mean, yeah, but it's yeah. that thing's no, 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 written by four. Stay in your corner. Okay. okay. Uh, <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. Jumanji. Yeah, there you go. Jumanji. Fleetwood Mac. Yes. Rick Springfield and Sting, just to name a few, right? Uh, his first movie's in 87. It's called Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds. Have, have you even heard about this thing? Did you I see it? I have not. Yeah, apparently it's a really interesting narrative where there's uh, it. It plays out mostly like one big long music video. Okay, I'm kind of curious right. about it. Independent post-apocalyptic sci-fi adventure film. Yeah, that's a lot of words. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he comes on the scene, and I think we all just immediately fall in love with them with the Crow in 1994. Is it fair? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. The, even, the even with the Crow all the, is, it, yeah, all the drama with you yep. know Brandon Lee it. The, the crow is still one of those movies. I, I almost think about all the time, Troy, for some reason I'm like, I think I should watch the crow today and it's never a bad choice. Yeah. And talk about a franchise that probably has the worst sequels ever. Uh, you, you would say Highlander. No, the crow Let's oh, be yeah. here. or Hellraiser's up there too. Yeah. Ooh, which, which is the worst, the crow uh -huh. or Hellraiser? Uh -huh. I, I'm going to uh, say the crow has worse sequels than Hell, Hellraiser. Okay. That, that may have to be a challenge, <laughs> to be quite no, honest. No, no, I just got over breaking. Okay, ground, okay. So. so 98 does Dark City, and another, just in another amazing film, um, visually, storytelling-wise, uh, it, it's fantastic. You're thinking, between these two films, this guy's just on fire. Then he does an independent film called Garage Days in 2002, follows that up with a big-budget film with Mr. Will Smith, iRobot, in 2004, I like iRobot. It's fun. Uh, it's a really good uh, sci-fi action film. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't think you would get that from its source material, but I think they did a really good job with adapting the source material for the screen. It's a great book, but um, yeah, Knowing in 2009. Oh, Troy, don't just, no. What? Knowing is a pile of shit. Are we going to talk about it at some point? At some point in time, we're going to talk about it. No. Okay, I figured. Uh, then he goes like seven years, and we get Gods of Egypt in 2016. And the only thing he's been doing since is uh, a lot of short films. He had like four of them released from 2019 to 22. And he has like five things in, in pre-production or post-production, but I don't know if they're more short movies or, or what he's working on. But um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> What is this guy batting from a director perspective? Is it even 500 at this point? Uh, I mean, he's got two Stone Cold classics. Absolutely. Which probably make I, up for the rest of the filmography. I, Robot, I, again, like you said, is a fun sci-fi adventure film. It's, you know, it's a B minus film. It's not an what? A. Yeah, give, it's in the B category. I don't know if I go B I have not seen Garage Days. Uh, knowing, knowing is an F. He, you, you're coming back <laughs> next semester. You're redoing this class. Okay, that's fair. So when we talk screenplay, you're going to hear some names that we've actually mentioned before. So this screenplay is done by two individuals. And you remember how we had that list of things where we go, hey, if, if you see this, like eight screenwriters mm -hmm. or this happens or struggle, it's probably going to point to it being a bomb. I would almost say that if you see these two names anywhere within a screenplay, it's, it's a pretty good indication it might not do so hot. And I'm talking about Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless. They've been on the show, to the best of my knowledge, twice. 
Um, most recently, when we talked about Morbius from 2022, that was episode uh -huh. 131. And then you got to go back to Saban's Power Rangers in 2017. I think they were part of like 11 screenwriters or something ridiculous. I think they wrote they wrote the part about the jerking off the bull. I, I think, think so. That was, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, go back to episode 101. You can hear our thoughts on oh, that. Oh, I remember when I was doing research for this show, they're doing Madam Web as well. So yeah. That thing is going to suck. Yeah, I was kind of excited terrible. for that, but holy shit. Nope. Terrible. 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 Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, cinematography by Peter Menzies Jr. So around this time period, this is what he's working on. I mean, he's he's not an Academy Award winning cinematographer or anything, but he's he's working all the time. So in 2014, he does Expendables 3, Gods of Egypt in 2016. He also does the Roots TV miniseries in 2016 and um, Surviving Compton, a TV film in 2016 uh, about Dr. Dre. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, who else was that about? Is it Sugar? Um, Wait, what? Is it is it Sugar? Suge Sh Knight? Was it? I, I don't. I've never seen it. I just I know Shug it's Knight. about. No, his name is Suge Knight. Suge Knight. Okay. Yes. All right. There you go. I believe he was uh, the 13th Warrior cinematographer as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Which we talked about as well. Mm -hmm. um, editor Richard Learoid. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was interesting. Hong Kong Film Award nominee for best film editing. For Jet Li's Fearless in 2006. Ooh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Let's talk about the people in front of the camera. Oh, boy. This will come up a couple of times. Man, this name, I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to do okay, my best. Okay, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. Uh, Nicola Coster-Valdo. Is that right? Coster-Waldorf. Waldo. No, I think the W is a V, isn't it? Valdo? Valdo? Waldo. Waldo? Yeah. He was in Game of Thrones. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So he he plays Horus, uh, the Egyptian god of air, son of Isis and Osiris. And mm -hmm. yeah, you you think when you first see him, is that Viggo Mortensen? No. It's Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think that's what's what the know problem about. with this is in Game of Thrones he was known as uh he he was the the god killer. Mm -hmm. Or no, I'm sorry, the King King Slayer. Yeah. And here they kept calling him the Lion Slayer. You, that, you can't do that. You, you can't, can't you can't you can't do that. Okay. I was getting them so confused. Well, we've got Brent Brenton Thwaites, I think, as Beck, the young thief who allies with Horus. Just think of Dollar General Aladdin. That's his role. Yep. Um, uh he's a loser, baby, so why don't you kill him? He's a what? <laughs> sorry, his name is Beck. Oh. <laughs> okay. So if you have to explain it, it's it, the, the joke just went right over my head. Okay, <clears throat> so you would know him. Someone in the audience laughed at that, and I appreciate your laugh. Yes, write in and tell us that you you <laughs> laughed at Pratt's back joke. Mm -hmm. uh, this guy I know Two from turntables and a microphone. Sorry, I'm done. let it go. Just let it go. <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, Brenton uh, Beck, whatever the. Uh, He's Dick Grayson on the Nightwing TV series, or plays Nightwing from the Titans TV series. Oh, that okay. ran from 2018 to 2023. You, this is going to be a common theme. We're going to talk about all these people who showed up in television. So we just talked yeah. about Jamie Lannister. Now we're talking about Nightwing. Uh, this guy also Pirates of the Caribbean. I think uh, he was in a Disney Maleficent film or something of that nature. Then he was we, also in that horror film that I wanted to like a lot more, but Oculus, which is oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he did. I you don't like Oculus? Oh, I like it. I I wish it was better. Oh, well, I thought it was just fine. 
Okay. Um, I'm saying it was just fine. I wish it was better. Okay. I wish all movies were better. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What does that statement mean? Good good point. point. We're in a cantankerous mood. I think the movie put us at Um, Chadwick Bosman. Uh, Thoth, the Egyptian God of Wisdom. I now 2016 is also the year that he debuts as Black Panther in Captain America's Civil War. He was having yep. a good year. Well, partly, right? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sadly, not here with us anymore. One of the one of the most tragic deaths, uh, man, because it just came out of nowhere. I know that one hurt. That one that one did hurt quite a bit because he's he's such a good actor. So. Yeah, he was fantastic. Elodie Young as, is it Hathor, the Egyptian goddess of love and Horace's girlfriend, right? Yep. So speaking of television series, she was Electra Nachos from Daredevil, the good Daredevil series Daredevil, back in yep. 2016. Um, she's also shown, we didn't really talk about her, but she's in a film we talked about. She was kind of the romantic love interest of um, Lisbeth in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Do you remember her? Oh, yeah. I think she's the girl that oh. gets picked up at the oh. club. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh, there you yeah. Go. Uh-huh. Uh, Courtney Eaton. There's her boobers. <laughs> Jeez, you are in full guy mode tonight. It's it's hilarious. Uh, I think you need to get out of the house a little bit more. You've been pent up I, I, this yes, whole yes. being sick and everything. Okay, yeah. Courtney Eaton as Zaya, Beck's girlfriend, and I, I guess she's mostly a corpse during the film. Pretty yeah, much a walking yeah. corpse. Yeah. Walking corpse. Okay, uh, another TV show. I haven't watched it. I, I think you rep for this one. Yellow Jackets. Yellow Jackets, yeah. yeah. It's a fantastic show. Okay, she's in that. She was also uh, the year before in Mad Max Fury Road. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's, here is the, I guess, the star power now. Uh, Gerard Butler, Set, the Egyptian god of the desert and uh, brother of Osiris. So he was busy in 2016. He did this film, London Has Fallen, and A Family Man. I, I just, real quick, what do you think about uh, Mr. Butler? In general. I, you know, I kind of like him embracing this cheesy action movie, like starring role now. Like we watched, uh, I had a bunch of people come over. We watched that movie plane. I yeah. mean, it's just called plane and it was a lot of fun. It, it's like harking back to like the eighties where you got like commando and all that. Like they're just like kind of dumb action films that are really good. And he is good in that lane. Um, we talked about Den of Thieves. Uh, I think that's a fantastic film. Um, you know, his. I'm glad he's away from that romantic comedy stint that he did, like the ugly truth and bodyguard and all that crap. But no, him as an action star, I, I really, I really dig it a lot. Um, you know, the London is falling. The whatever those. Oh, are those called. falling series, angels yep. falling. Yep. I love that series. To be quite honest, I think it's fun. And then like. Yeah. Copland or Cop Shop. Cop, Cop Shop. Shop. If you haven't seen Cop Shop, it is really, really good. We're going to so, talk about that one. That, yep. yeah, I'm a huge um, Butler fan. I'm. I got to be honest with you. He's one of the. You know, we've got a couple of them out there, like um, Jason Statham, as my son calls mm-hmm. him. Yeah. I, I mean, I love it when these the guys. Beekeeper, you mean? Yeah. You mean the, Mister the Beekeeper. Mister the Beekeeper. I haven't seen it yet, but. I really enjoy when you have somebody like that just sort of embrace that genre action film. I think the difference between a Gerard Butler and maybe a Jason Statham is Gerard has a little bit more screen presence and charisma. 
Um, Jason looks good kicking people in the face, and he can be really good, but there's something about Gerard that just feels consistent in in his performances, even though yeah. a lot of his performances are the same, which are which is the same with with old Jason. Yeah, they're I, playing. He's playing Gerard Butler. Yeah, they're they're playing to their strengths. But if you had to choose between the two, I don't know where you land. I kind of land a little bit more on Gerard than I do Jason. Although I, well, I enjoy. I don't both feel like films. Jason Satham is in a whole lot. Now, Gerard Butler puts out like a movie or two a year. Yeah, he, he seems to have found his just rhythm where he's like, give me a $30, $40 million budget, put it out there, yep. makes a little bit of money. Um, yeah, I, I, I yeah, really I like mean, that. They're literally making a sequel to playing called Boat. Yeah, why not? It's worth, hey, if Canon were still around, no, I exactly. They'd is, be employing they, both of them. He's making Canon films, and yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, he's taken over the Michael Dudikoff mantle, right? Oh, he is Dudikoff 2.0. He is Dudikoff 2.0. All right. So a couple other names. Just want to mention Jeffrey Rush as Ra, the Egyptian god of the sun, right? And uh, Horace's grandfather. We got Brian Brown, which is pretty much unrecognizable with all the makeup and stuff. Um, Osiris, the Egyptian god of the afterlife. And he's uh, Horace's father. Last but not least, because we've mentioned a lot of gods. So they're supposed to be like these 11 or 12 foot people who you cut them and they bleed gold. You need something for, you know, a villain for the Aladdin knockoff guy, right? Mm -hmm. So enter Rufus Sewell as uh, Urshu. So he's set second in command and architect, but he's also of the size that Beck could beat up since all the other people are too big for him, right? I love Rufus Sewell. Yeah, he can chew some scenery, man. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) He's a skinny guy, but I don't know how he stays that skinny eating up all that scenery. Oh, good point. Good point. All right. So let's get to... Uh, the production and development. This is where it gets wacky. Mm. I, I have to ask you real quick before I get into this uh, long explanation. The drama that was occurring around this movie's release about the whitewashing, mm-hmm. was it something that you paid attention to? Uh, a little bit because it's hard if if you're on the internet to not hear people complain about, hey, you know, this is about Egyptian lore and all these people were white and Chadwick Boseman is a, a person of color, but there's no Egyptians. And then the excuse was, Hey, it's a fantasy film. It, they're, they're not, this isn't taking place on earth. Well, there's, and as, there's French, there's Asian, there's white. Yeah. And there's black. So there's, yeah. it's all over the place. Yeah. And, and like they pull out of, of, they go out into outer space at one point in time and it's a flat earth. So we're like not even talking about really the same thing. Um, but on the other side of the coin, I do understand these are Egyptian gods. And if you're into this or you're happen to be Egyptian and you're like, Oh God, the sun God Ra, I'd like to see him as a, as a Egyptian. And you're like, Oh, it's Jeffrey rush. I, I get the other side of it. I get both sides of the argument. My thing is, it's like, okay, that's fine. But you can't complain about when one of your superheroes is changed. And get upset about that because that's fantasy too. I hate to tell you, <laughs> but you can't have it both ways. Okay. And All right. I, I get it. I, I like, I get people's argument with getting upset about whitewashing this and that. And, but at the end of the day, it is a fantasy film. It doesn't bother me, but that doesn't mean that I don't understand why someone would be bothered. Um, I, I'll be, I'll like, be a hundred percent honest. I mean, we'll get into the details and, I scratch my head sometimes at um, what we choose to get upset about when it comes to films. 
Well, that that is another thing. Like, it it's a goddamn movie. Like, I why 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 are we getting upset about a movie? Uh, but I, I can't I, I can't judge other people. I wouldn't get mad about it. Oh, I can judge other people. I no problem judge because people are going to judge you. Why can't you just do a little judging back? I mean, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not either. I I scratch my head. But let let's go through the history of it because I I kind of find it sort of fascinating. So uh, the film was produced under Summit Entertainment. You talked about this already. Proyas was contracted by Summit in May 2012 to write the screenplay with Sazamon Sharpless and to direct the film. Proyas said, wow, "That's a long time before. Like those guys were attached to it for a long time. Usually, if a, yeah. if if a if a director and a writing duo are attached to a film for that long before it is released." At some point in time, someone jumps off and someone changes, but for them to be attached to it for four years, okay. Yeah, well, you got to think about like probably working on it behind the scenes, scripting two or three years. Given the size of this, production's probably a year plus, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Post-production is a long time too. Yeah, so Proya said he sought to make a big-budget film with an original premise to contrast the franchise films of the time. The director cited the following films as influences on Gods of Egypt. The Guns of Navarone, Lawrence of Arabia, The Man Who Would Be King, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Sergio Leone's Western films. Lionsgate anticipated that Gods of Egypt would be the first movie in a franchise after it finished releasing the Hunger Games films. <laughs> so Hunger Games coming to an end. They're looking for a new franchise. They think this is going to be it, right? Sure. So one thing to keep in mind, this film was shot in Australia, all right? The production budget was $140 million. John Feltheimer, the CEO of Summit's parent company, Lionsgate, said Lionsgate's financial exposure was under $10 million due to tax incentives of filming in Australia as well as foreign pre-sales. Uh, pre the Australian government's tax credit to have the film produced in the country covered 46% of the $140 million production budget, and most of the remaining, remaining budget was covered by the foreign pre-sales. Keep, oh, because they're offer they're they're giving jobs to Australians and okay. Yeah, yep. to get that tax credit. So keep this in mind. To get the tax credit, you have to employ a majority of Australians. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's super important when you're talking about behind the camera. And guess what? In front of the camera, because we have some Australians in front of the camera. Yes, we do. Yes, the film drew criticism. Because like any government, the Australian government loves that tax money. So they they're do. giving you a tax break on the front end, but on the back end, they're taxing they're, all the workers. They're creating jobs for a couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So the film drew criticism due to the fact that none of the main actors were of Egyptian descent. White actors, predominantly of the Northwestern European descent, make up most of the principal cast of Gods of Egypt. When Lionsgate began marketing the film, the Associated Press said the distributor received backlash for ethnically inaccurate casting of a fantasy film just keep that in mind the casting practice of white actors as ancient egyptian characters was first reported after filming started in march 2014 when daily life's ruby hamad highlighted the practices quote hollywood whitewashing lionsgate released a set of character posters in november 2015 and the guardian reported that the casting received a backlash on twitter over the predominantly white cast some suggested that the casting of black actor Chadwick Boseman, who plays the god Thoth, played into the magical Negro stereotype. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. The previous year, the biblical epic Exodus, Gods and Kings, 
by director Ridley Scott received similar backlash for having a white cast. The Washington Post Soria Nadia McDonald also disparaged the casting practices for Gods of Egypt and said Lionsgate released the posters at an unfortunate time. She said with the release of Azi Ansari's TV series Masters of None in the previous week, and this is her quote, whitewashed casting and the offensiveness of brownface has pretty much dominated the pop culture conversation this week. Promotion for the movie is beginning just as we're wrapping a banner year for discussions of diversity and gender pay equality in the film industry. In the month leading up to the release, director Proyas said his film was fantasy and not intended to be history. He cited, quote, creative license and artistic freedom of expression to cast the actors he found to fit the roles. He said whitewashing was a justified concern, but for his fantasy film, quote, to exclude any one race in service of a hypothetical theory of historical accuracy would have been biased. Proyas said that films need more people of color and a greater cultural diversity, but that Gods of Egypt is not the best one to soapbox issues of diversity with. He argued that the lack of English-speaking Egyptian actors, production practicalities, the studio's requirement for box office draws, I think he's mentioning Gerard here, and Australia having guidelines limiting imported actors were all factors in casting for the film. He concluded, quote, I attempted to show racial diversity, black, white, Asian, as far as I was allowed, as far as I could, given the limitations I was given. It is obviously clear that for things to change, for casting and movies to become more diverse, many forces must align. Not just the creative, to those who are offended by the decisions which were made, I have already apologized. I respect their opinion, but I hope the context of the decisions is a little clearer based on my statements here. Now, he follows this up on Facebook after the movie's released, pretty much slamming all the critics <laughs> and everybody well, who's, yeah, yeah, because it wasn't yeah. doing so hot. Well, I I also remember when I was reading about this, they 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 were pulling a lot of reverse hobbits, uh, because in the Hobbit, uh, or Lord of the Rings, uh, they were they were uh, obviously Gandalf was much bigger, but they were doing a lot of camera work to make the 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 uh, Gandalf look much bigger than say uh, Elijah Wood, uh, but here they were making all the the Egyptian gods look much bigger than uh, the normal people. So they're yep. doing a reverse Hobbit. And I was like, oh, that's Joy's favorite sex move. <laughs> <laughs> you know it so well because yep. it's your favorite too. <laughs> oh it's like you have you have sex with Troy that you have second breakfast is that's, what it is. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, not not to be the dead horse. I, it's it's interesting. I, we, we have come a long way in Hollywood in the last 20 years. But I will be... Also, the first to say, um, attacking a film like this one from a different, it just doesn't exactly make a lot of sense to me. But again, it's its one of those, we've talked about this several times, fandom, be it a Star Wars fan, Marvel fan, DC, all this other stuff. Like, like you said, change the gender of a superhero, change their sexual preference, all this other thing. You know, at the end of the day, I think we lose sight sometimes of tell a good story yeah, and then you know, just make sure all Tell those pieces story are in with line. the best actor or yeah. actress that you need in that role. I, I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably not as uh, wise as you to see both sides of the argument. To me, it's more like 
I don't see the the other side of the argument on this when when you're going against like fantasy fiction and you're saying, well, there needs to be representation for this fantasy film called Gods of Egypt, et cetera. And I'm like, well, they represented everything. They got it all in there. And the fact mm -hmm. that it wasn't primarily Egyptian, it's like, well, they're they're not going for historical accuracy. Now, if we were doing something that did, you know, the plight of Egyptians during this time period or something of that nature, then yes, I would want a little bit more historical accuracy. <laughs> well, I don't think so. The problem is I don't think people understood exactly what they were trying to go for. Yeah. And so you hear a movie called Gods of Egypt and you're just like, oh, they're going to have all these Egyptians in it. And you're like, oh, no, it's Gerard Butler. And it's this and that. <laughs> uh, again, would I die on the hill for Gods of Egypt? No, Absolutely no. not. Either way, like on either side. I, there's just I, so I, much. There's so many other things to get upset about. And this is not one of them in my opinion. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. I, I, I agree with that. It, yeah. Go uh, tackle the healthcare costs or something like this with your, your petty comments in my opinion. But one last thing, um, this was nominated for some awards. Our, our favorite, the golden raspberry awards didn't win anything, but here you go. Worst picture, Alex Proyas and Basil Ivanic. So they, they were the nominees for that. Worst director, Alex Proyas, worst actor, Gerard Butler, he got nominated. Worst screen combo, any two Egyptian gods or mortals. I love that one. And of course, worst screenplay by Matt and Burke. There you go. A little bit of behind the scenes on this one. I'm kind of glad you picked it because I like talking about... Um, so here's my question. You got Gerard Butler and everybody else. You have a movie called Gods of Egypt and... Um, it's getting some bad press because of its initial posters, right? Mm -hmm. This whitewashing. Let's say that you, I don't know, you you have higher paid actors in this thing. Let's say the $140 million didn't go to the special effects, but outside of Gerard Butler, you get some other A-listers in there. Even okay. with the whitewashing comments, do you think this film would have succeeded or done better? Um... You would have to have someone play Beck. Anyone play Beck. Uh, uh, like a, well, even like if you think about like. Well, let's say, let's say you know. get a Christian Bale and a Russell Crowe in there too. And Angelina well, I mean, Jolie at, for one of the leads. And um, Michelle Yeoh. I, I mean, if we're going to yeah. have an Asian actress, like, get, like get some big Angelina names Jolie there. was in Alexander and, and Christian Bale was in, wasn't he in Exodus? Yeah. Yep. So I, I, sometimes I think we believe that movie stars can save movies and we don't have movie stars. Now Matt Damon was in a film kind of like this with the same sort of controversy. Oh, the great wall. Yeah. Great wall. Huge flop. Now it did pretty well internationally. Yeah. Uh, domestically was, was a huge bomb. Do, do you think international audiences are just more concerned about the movie versus the politics behind the movie? They could be, but also international audiences loved Transformers. So I don't know what the hell is wrong with them. <laughs> uh, but I, a lot of times, right, it's more... China loved Transformers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot of the international markets like spectacle a yeah. little bit more because a lot of things don't translate as well. So they just like big bombastic things. Well, and their um, special effects are, let's face it, shit. So stuff that comes yeah, out of so holiday. So they get to see like Hollywood. super expensive, yeah. shiny stuff. Um, I, I don't know if you're saving this film, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I think it's... you. 
It's just you're you saying make, it's not something that could be saved with front loading the cast. I, I don't think so. I think what you do with this thing is you give it fifty million dollars and make it work, uh, not triple your budget and you know, because you could still go to Australia and film and get forty six percent of the budget, and now you're only looking at about you know, your risk is $23 million and you're like, okay, we can handle that. Um, you know, with like international pre-sales, look, we're in the, you know, we're making money already. So I, you know, I don't know. I I think it's, I, I don't think we can say a star would save films anymore. Okay. Yeah. I was just Cause wondering because we, we don't have, we don't have star. We have, we have a star. We have I, Tom Cruise. We like Gerard Butler. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, it, but 2016, I don't think Gerard Butler carried like a huge name, but you didn't go see this in the theater, right? As no, a sure didn't. Butler I saw the trailer, man. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. I mean, and that's the, that's, that's the other thing. Yeah. You saw the trailer. Okay. Well, let's take, let's take a quick break and, uh, we're going to come back and share our thoughts. Cause I'm, I'm really curious what changed from your initial viewing to, to this current viewing, but, uh, yeah, quick break. We'll come back. We'll share our thoughts on the film. So stay tuned. It's a big date. They love their popcorn. Look what they ate. This kind of action, the main attraction. Oh boy, ain't love grand. He's buying lots of goodies, ice cream, Pepsi, and peanuts too. Living on love's not easy. You need your strength to woo. Now he returns. What's this she yearns? Refreshing Pepsi, a kiss he earns. Romance and pleasure, and for good measure, thirst quenching Pepsi. For those who think young came to vanish beneath the sea. They were the warlords of Atlantis. Beneath the legendary waters of the Bermuda Triangle, two men dared to probe the mysteries of the deep, only to come face to face with monster terror. An alien world of subhumans and the warlords of Atlantis. Don't miss Warlords of Atlantis, now at five West End cinemas and all over London and the South from Sunday, Certificate A. Brad, you loved this thing when you saw it in the theater. Oh, not well, you had a lot well, of fun with yeah, it. Yeah. I had fun, yes. Then your second viewing, you couldn't finish it. Did This is your third viewing? Did you finish your third viewing? I did finish okay. for the podcast. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. I, I should pat myself on the back for you're, finishing this film. Okay. Well, what what did you think about it this two and a half times you've seen it? I have to start off by saying I think the guy playing Beck is insufferable and one of the worst actors I have ever seen in my entire life. And he is in the film. He is the narrator of the film and is the main character. Question? Well, he, he represents the, the audience. Like, yes. uh, okay. You yeah. always have so that character the, you're supposed to relate to. Yeah. That's he our is the, you know, the, the conduit for the audience yeah. to this film. And boy, he is really bad. Like maybe one of the, the guy playing samurai cop has more screen presence <laughs> than he does. Can, uh, can can we just say real quick the worst thing you could do um, to start your movie off is put this guy in a room with another human being 
and have them do some like couple cutesy bantering. Yep. I, it, it, I agree with you hundred percent. The first 10 minutes of this film, I, I really, I, I said some very bad things about you. I'm sure you pick. did. Cause, yeah. cause the girl who plays Zaya is isn't much better. No, she's right there as, as, uh, being I mean, just think, oh, so go to go back. Like if you put Taylor Kish in the, in that role, it is, it's better. Yeah. It's way better. Uh, at least he has like a screen presence and can act. This guy is just so bad. Yeah. And I like, so I bad. liked him in that Titan series, but holy cow, man. And, and so like, and he and Zaya's relationship is like what you're pulling for. You know, his, his whole hero's journey is to bring her back to life. Uh, and it is just in stuff. It is so it, it doesn't hard. fair. So you get, that's your first, what, five, 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. transitions to another couple that you're going to follow um Jamie Lannister, right? And yep. uh, uh Electra. And yes. it it's not as bad, but man, it's it doesn't it's not much better. I mean, yeah. Jamie Lannister had more chemistry with his sister, I'm just going to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that's fair. So there is just so much wrong with this movie. Um First off, the the lead actors and actresses are are not great. Um, I like Jamie Lannister. I'm just going to call him Jamie Lannister the whole time. I don't care. Uh, but everything I've seen him outside of Game of Thrones, except for Shot Collar, I really haven't liked very much. I think Shot Collar is fucking badass. Have you seen Shot Collar? I have not seen that yet. Ooh, okay. Um, so I haven't. I, I don't know. You know, there's just guys who don't translate well to the big screen. They look, he's one of the most iconic bad guys of all time. What, that did, is, what does that mean? Doesn't translate. What, so I, I find it interesting that a lot of the cast that we're talking about have had some huge success on television, mm-hmm. but what makes their performance on television better than on the big screen? I mean, it's I, the same actor and actress, right? Well, I may, maybe, you know, shorter run times so you're not like being inundated with their performance as long and usually on a tv show you have more things going on because there's more characters because you can develop um you know different characters different uh sort of events different <laughs> things i'm thinking Just, about like young for example she she's amazing in that daredevil series mm-hmm. as electra she wouldn't have that much more screen time in Electra or the Daredevil series than she would here. But yet on screen here, it just doesn't translate to anything. But in the, in the, the mini series, she's fantastic. I mean, it, is this just 100% a combination of poor directing behind the it, scenes? It, and maybe it could be, script? I mean, in the, in the script, I mean, the yeah. script, we haven't even got to the script yet, but the script has got awful. So, yeah, you bad. know, you're, you're trying to, to say these lines that are, atrocious so and then we get to like the cgi and <laughs> the the hidden strike like cgi yeah like there is some clearly we are standing in front of a green screen there's a part where our love interests uh beck and zaya are on a horse and cart deal and it is some of the worst screen uh green screening I've ever seen in my entire life, like hidden level, hidden strike level bad. Um, and then 
your giant gods transform into these things that are go, super go shiny power rangers they yeah. are power rangers yeah. essentially and yeah that looks really like you think about like 140 million dollars where where did the money go because these cgi is not great and i was like did they do like a post conversion 3d on this because this feels like you know clash of the titans sort of like no you know we we did 3d on this and it cost a little but they didn't do that um it's just Nothing really about this works for me anymore. And I don't know what did in the theater. Cause, but like to me, you go to the theater and the film was automatically better just because just like, on the big I'm, screen, I'm on the, I'm on the big screen. I'm having popcorn. I'm having cherry Coke. Uh, you know, I I'm just enjoying myself. I have learned to embrace going to the theater by myself. And so I was probably there just hanging out. Um, you know, I was thinking Chadwick Boseman would probably save this thing, and he kind of is the best part of this movie, but even then, it's not great. Um, you know, I made the joke earlier about, you know, Gods of Cleavage, but holy crap, Troy, every woman in this uh, movie is like, okay, here's here's my here's my uh, personality trait, cleavage. And yeah. then the next person comes <laughs> on, you're like, cleavage and you're like oh okay uh, yeah yeah here we go okay uh, yeah that's the only memorable thing about this but you know jeffrey rush is not even good like i like jeffrey rush's character in uh pirates of the caribbean i think he's the best part of those films and you want that kind of performance from from him here but he's really just sleepwalking everyone just seems not interested in this thing and I think it's because they got to act with that guy Beck. And it's just like, we can't make this work. This guy <laughs> is atrocious. And I looked at his filmography. He hasn't really done much since then. And I think it's because he got exposed. I don't know about that. I mean, he Titans was pretty successful to a certain degree. Like I said, everybody, Hey, look, he's, he's bad, but you can't let everybody else off the hook. In my opinion, even Gerard no. Butler, who generally, just being Gerard Butler is enough feels like he is just cashing in the paycheck and sleepwalking through this one. Yeah. He needed that. He needed to renovate something in his house to do this performance. Cause he does not care. It, they're just boring. I mean, I, I think he's on autopilot. He can do. So here's the thing as a, as a big baddie, who's just going to scream some kind of intimidating phrases and, and we've flex. seen him do it. We've seen him do that before. And in better films. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he can do that thing <laughs> in his sleep. I'll say this. He does rely, I think, a little bit on his natural charisma and charm because it's Troy, there. I, I was begging for this to be 300. Begging for Zack Snyder. I mean, I don't like Zack Snyder, but if Zack Snyder directs this film, it's a much better film. So... <laughs> Well, okay. So you're saying it's not the cast that would have improved this, but it's the things that would have occurred behind the scenes. Well, I think, I think Zack Snyder, one of his, one of the things I believe he can do is he can share his, his overall, uh, vision with people and get them to do an okay. Like the Ben Affleck in, in some of those Zack Snyder films is pretty good. Uh, Henry Cavill is pretty good. It's a super, like some of the performances in those films are good. Uh, you know, the dialogue and stuff they're doing and the story he's telling is bad, uh, but visually it's interesting. And there's some slow motion stuff in 
in Gods of Egypt that is wishing it was Zack Snyder. Like it's begging to be Zack Snyder, but it's not any good. So do you see do you see elements of Alex within this film? Think back about Dark City and the Crow. I I don't because like sometimes I just think guys don't translate to 140 million dollar films. Like the Crow is a small action film with there's like eight or nine characters. Um, this has way too many characters. The story is too big. So I, I just think you lose what makes an, a, a director great. What about Dark City? That that was a very that's ambitious, but yeah. it's not huge. Okay. So there's ambition there, um, but it's still a small, quaint sci-fi film with kind of a nice little twist. Uh, but I, I just think I think some people can handle the scope they can handle. It's like anything, right? Like if you're a project manager and you have a 500-hour budget to do a project, you can handle that 500 th- – hundred uh five hundred hour budget. I love when, when you, you go get into a thou- corporate talk. Yeah, yeah, but when you get to a thousand and you're scoping that out, like then you get there's like too many uh plates to spend and that that it just you can't do it. I think that's Alex's problem is once the scope gets up, because like knowing big budget there, terrible film. Um because like he he makes his bread in the independent films. Okay. Look at his independent stuff. It's all much better than this. And I would call like, you know, the crow is more independent level. Um, yeah. So Troy, ultimately I think I, did I hate this film? I don't think, I think the only thing I didn't hate about it is cause there's some, some Egyptian stuff in here and some, uh, like the world eater, uh, thing I, I thought was kind of cool. It, it looks cool with like all of its, clouds and stuff i think that's the only thing oh apophis the yeah, shadow beast apophis yeah. yeah i think that's the only sorry i was thinking of nidhogg is the uh is the uh the viking world eater which it kind of this a little bit the same but anyway um I, I think it's the only thing that's interesting um it may be like the boat in the sky that has to sort of bring out the sun and fight off the the demon thing but yeah i i didn't really like this very much. Not at all, really. Oh. I didn't hate it, though. Okay. Maybe maybe I hated it. Yeah, so there, there were... I'll be totally honest. So I, I literally remembered zero about this film. Um, and that was a few days after watching it. So I watched it last week, and it's been, you know, four days. And uh, I had to go back and read the plot synopsis. I remembered images... Mm-hmm. But I couldn't sit there and adequately articulate like the story, the motivation of the characters, what was going on. <laughs> motivation of characters. That's funny. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it was, it was like having like the worst bland oatmeal that you could, you could mm-hmm. probably conjure up. Right. Um, and it borrows but, from, but, but it was like very expensive, but like <laughs> very expensive, bland oatmeal. Yeah. Yeah. So it borrows from every fantasy film that ever came before it, but it really doesn't do anything new. And it, it's funny when we talked about Limbo last week. I mean, here's a film that borrows from every film of its genre, but it managed to do something that was so unique and engaging, um, transgressive, but you know, yeah. you're, mm-hmm. you're entertained. So I was, I was thinking about this. Um, you and I have a have a different age gap, about what ten years, right? Yep. Yep. I'm I grew up with Conan the Barbarian, 
So got to see that as a kid in the theater. And if you like, I grew up with Conan the Barbarian, but just a different, like you saw it in the theater. I saw it on cable. Yeah. But you weren't, you weren't around for the inception of the Conan the Barbarian clones that occurred in the eighties. Now I know you've seen those since then, Mm -hmm. but, but to kind of see it happen within like a video store or something of that nature where you say, well, here's Conan the Barbarian and everybody's chasing after that formula and you would get movies like Deathstalker, Deathstalker 2, which I find absolutely amazing. Um, Barbarian Queen. Speaking the, of there, there's your boobers. <laughs> yeah, but all, all of these films had that going with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of that, Barbarian Queen. Uh, the Beastmaster, which yes. it, it had its series. One of my personal favorites of all time, The Sword and the Sorcerer. Because he had that awesome sword that you know had like four blades. And he could shoot I mean, it's in the title, were. Troy. It's got to be. I awesome. know. Um but what I found interesting is that Conan the Barbarian had this pedigree attached to it in a budget, right? Dino De Laurentiis. All the stuff that came out, like take those Deathstalker films or the Barbarian Queen, those are Roger Corman productions, super cheap. Mm-hmm. Nothing budget-wise was ever going to probably hit Conan. I don't, I don't know, but it just felt cheap. But they're super entertaining, super fun, super memorable. Um, then Lord of the Rings comes along and – that was an event. I, I remember standing in line for all those, just amazing. And I, I tell me if I'm crazy about this. So the difference is when Conan the Barbarian came out, we had a bunch of cheap knockoffs trying to chase that genre down. Lord of the Rings comes out. Yeah, it, was and, a ra- it was basically a race to the bottom. Yeah. And Lord of the Rings comes out and we go, oh, well, here's three more Hobbit movies, huge budgets, right? Um, here's Warcraft, which also came out in 2016. We talked about that one. Mm-hmm. You get gods of Egypt in 2016. Um, King Arthur legend of sword in 2017. It felt like the studios were doing the same thing when Conan came out, but as a result of Lord of the Rings a little bit and saying, Hey, we can chase down this fantasy genre, but we can do it with these huge budgets, 140 here, 200 million there. I mean, it was Hobbit, which is weird because Lord of the Rings didn't have a crazy high budget. Look at the 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 initial budget of Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I think it was like fifty million dollars or something crazy like that. Yeah, but again, all in. Studio says we're going to make three films, so it becomes yeah. a big production thing. But you're right. I mean, it it's so weird. the The art of filmmaking from a studio perspective seems to have changed a little bit, and it was about going bigger, bolder, better ideas. We want to start a franchise. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm sure when they were doing Barbarian Queen or Deathstalker. Um, I'm sure the first Beastmaster, they weren't thinking, oh, we're going to do four films. I mean, they ended up doing like, I didn't know this, there's four Deathstalker movies, <laughs> all Ooh. made for like 20 bucks. Um, but but they're so much more fun. They're more entertaining than what we get in this modern age, which leads me to my next thought, because it's the budget, it's the it's the special effects and everything they're spending on it. So our good, our good friend Sammy um, from the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, he made this comment um, when they were talking about I think Marvel movies, right? So he says that Marvel ruined the movie watching experience for, for a younger generation because today a younger generation will slam a movie for not having good visual effects and the need for something to look amazing or realistic sort of trumps the story. So mm-hmm. his whole point was there was a time we didn't care about the special effects. We didn't care about the set. We didn't care about how cheap it looked. And I, I agree with that when I think back about my love for some of those VHS files. It's or, but it, but it's also hard because you hadn't seen 
like once you see a film like Avatar, <laughs> Avatar, or you know, or or like Return of the King looks just amazing. But once you see films like that, and you're like, that's what films can look like. It's then hard to go back and say, oh, but that's what they used to look like. And then when they don't look like Avatar, you're like, oh, that looks bad. Because you expect everything at some point in time to be pushed up. Um, but I, I get what he's saying, but it's also on the other side. It's like, but y- they can look like this also. Oh, I, I don't doubt that. But at some point, I, I mean, I'm lo- I'm watching this film and going, <clears throat> I like when your kid plays like the piano and you're like, Oh, he plays pretty good. And then you hear like Beethoven. You're like, Oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. (laughs) My kid needs to work at McDonald's, not play piano. Yeah, Yeah, I get it. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I understand that, but there's, there's something to be said that, um, and I, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm watching gods of Egypt. I'm not really enjoying myself and I'm trying to figure out like why the special effects shouldn't matter if they're cheap, if they're dodgy, it actually can add a level of charm to it, right? But but why why am I what what is my problem with this film? I think it comes down to boredom. So I, I guess my counter argument to this thing of like, well, younger generation they only gauge movies on special effects. I don't know if that's true. I would almost say that a younger generation will point out the special effects when they are not engaged with anything else that's going on within the story or something of that mm-hmm. nature because that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I, my biggest problem with this film is that it needed to be more crazy. It has some elements of brilliance in my opinion. There, there are some Alex Proyas moments in here. Um, I, I'm dying to hear what those are. It is the things like the flat earth. It is the whole oh. raw in his chariot um, kind of dragging the sun while he's fighting that um, Apophis sort of shadow beast, yeah, that's that the imagery best part is fantastic. Yeah, we're yeah. not wrong. Yeah, yeah. I like the giant monster snake thing. It's just a crazy monster that is chasing them through this maze. Oh, the two snakes. Yeah, yeah it's fantastic. Um, the special effects aren't the greatest, but I'm I'm a sucker for a good sort of Egyptian, Greek, whatever monster. Um. I like these elements of taking pieces of the Egyptians, the Egyptian gods so that he can sort of be the ultimate super Voltron Egyptian God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's that whole sequence where he takes some um, thoughts brain, which I really loved because all of a sudden he's just ripping it out of his head and it becomes like this blue crystal version of a brain or when he takes Horace's eyes, I, I kind of like those elements. So, there are all these little bits of, oh, 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 yeah, I like I like that thing. That was really cool. But for what, a two-hour film, you know, these five or six things only happen every so often in the last a couple of seconds and then it's over. And then you go back to watching a bunch of boring people like uh, pontificate or explain something or – uh, just give dialogue that that really just rings empty, and it's not yeah. so. It doesn't feel like a performance as much as they're actually just reading the script and then going, "Okay, I'm going to run from point A to point B." And these traps, uh, I, I get the whole Raiders of the Lost Ark thing because you've got this Beck guy who's trying yeah. to steal things. Yeah, you got Aladdin. Sure, but, but talk about the most boring, uninteresting traps 
where it's it's basically just how well can you parkour? Great, you're going to beat the trap. Yeah, the, well, the thing about Indiana Jones is like he messes up everyone, so he's not like this perfect guy who isn't going to... Like, once you tell me that this guy is the best thief ever and none of these traps are ever going to hurt him or do anything, like, oh, well, there's no stakes. There's no stakes because I know he's going to go to this thing. He's going to jokingly, at some point in time, you know, have to do something. But ultimately, he's never going to get hurt. There's yeah, never going to be any no danger whatsoever. Yeah. And, and like any, and just think of like the very first part of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That gold monkey, he screws up. The boulder comes. He's got to, like, there is like real danger the whole time. You think this guy is going to get hurt? Well, there's tension. Here, there's there's yeah. things you haven't seen before. The big boulder. Yeah, um, there's there's never yeah like you're right. There's no tension because as soon as you see this guy and you see his attitude and you see what he can do, you're like, oh, he's never going to get hurt. Yeah, there's there's nothing even with the big scorpions that are supposed. To, you're like, man, I saw better stuff in the Mummy series, the the Brendan Fraser stuff. Oh, oh my gosh, yeah, like yeah. you wish you were watching the Mummy. Yeah, oh, actually, I agree. You know what? That's funny. The Mummy series. That that third one, minus the third one. Sorry, Jetly. Uh, well, Michelle Yeoh too. I mean, geez. yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. Uh, those first two are those are the films like you go to for ancient Egypt stuff. Like this is not this is not it. No, I I mean when when you read a director who goes, hey, I borrowed from all these films, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm like, yeah, I, I see it all there, but it it really kind of comes down to. Um, what, what you hear that quote imitation is the sincerest form of flattery flattery. Yeah. But that's only half the quote. The rest of it goes that, um, mediocrity can bestow on greatness mm -hmm. that, that I think that's the full quote. And I'm sitting there looking at this going, yeah, you, you are inspired by all these films. You're trying to start a franchise, but where is your originality? Where is your, your visual voice? Um, Preuss had it with a couple of knockout films with the crow and even dark city but I'm I'm wondering how much um, actual control he had of the film, and that he's doing these Egyptian gods and everything else. And when you get to that sequence of when they finally fly sort of above the earth and they meet Ra, you're like, man, why isn't the rest of the movie like this? Like that sequence is so. To me, you would forget all about the ethnicity of who played what, etc. If they could just show you something and go, oh, the earth is flat. Well, that's kind of crazy. I'm in. Like, give me all of the craziness now and uh, show me more monsters. Um, create some tension with all this stuff. And, and I'm totally in. Well, yeah. Like, I even wonder, like, there's like two and a half good set pieces. And like in a film like this, you should have, you know, seven or eight or nine like set piece. We should certainly start out with a set piece and not. Like boring Di like couple banter, 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 dialogue. Yeah, is banter a word? Banter. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Sure. We'll Bantalog. go with it. No, I agree. Yeah. yeah. It. Mm. There's not a whole lot to like here. There isn't. I mean, it. <laughs> you you do find out, like I said, the Earth is flat. Poor people can't get into heaven. Um, which is you know, I guess that's par for the course for most religions, right? Sure thing, um, yes. Yeah, but but even like going into the afterlife, you have these, uh, I don't know, guardians or gods sitting off to the side. They have a great visual look, but I don't know, just it's it's in the background. It seems wasted. Yeah, 
and yeah. for for every amazing special effect shot there is something that you go wow that that that's actually there that looks terrible like you're you're right like the underworld stuff is very interesting and they could have done something with that but you're in the afterlife like you see Zaya walking a bunch yeah but then you get to the like the elder people and you're like oh those look cool they have a good look like we could have done something there uh but we don't and it's wasted you're like well why even do it like why even <laughs> I, I don't know no it's 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 kind of a i'm like you i don't hate it but i find this movie frustrating because i want to like it a lot mm-hmm. um and you know even gerard butler sleepwalking is still gerard butler chewing up scenery and it can be fun there are moments too, like when he first comes on scene, he walks up during like the, I almost said orientation. It's a uh, <laughs> orientation. Uh, oh, the crowning of the. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and when he walks up, you're like, oh, this, like Gerard Butler, you know, got some big dick energy. Yeah. And then immediately he's gone. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. And then they turn into two, two giant like robot things. You're like, this. This is just not what I want. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd be all for giant Egyptian robots fighting if it just had some type of crazy quality to it. I, like, there should have been more collateral damage or something to all the buildings. Um, there, it, Even take those Roger Corman, like Conan the Barbarian knockoffs in the 80s. They knew, and because I've just actually watched a few of these Deathstalker films, in the first one, they're like, every five minutes, you're going to get a beheading or somebody's just getting chopped to pieces. And you're like, wow, okay, I remember this stuff. And then if they're not chopping somebody to pieces, somebody's showing their boobs or something. So they knew exactly what they had, and they wanted to make it memorable with all of just you know sleazy sword and sorcery stuff, but it's memorable. Yeah. This, I wonder. Yeah, this uh, film's I, missing I, that. I, I wonder because films kind of make a shift the same month this comes out. Because of Deadpool. Yeah. Deadpool is like a rated R, hard rated R, but it makes a ton of money. If a year later that this comes out, if like this is like a hard R. Yeah, I don't it, know. I mean, it's because you, you still have what Clash of the Titans and because it mm-hmm. had two films come out around mm-hmm. the and same Wrath, time period. Wrath of the Titans, right? Wrath of the Titans. That's what it was. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just even the old Clash of the Titans, the Ray Harryhausen thing. You remember that that damn owl? I mean, it's so yeah. cool looking. It. I don't know. This film is missing more of the crazy kooky elements that make this genre so much fun, in my opinion. Yeah, and they they put it aside for the story of Beck. Yeah, and in the action sequences that do occur, unfortunately, it is um, choreographed martial arts with some heavy editing, with staffs, and it just it it doesn't even pass. Uh, as interesting in terms of any of the set pieces and trust me i love a good face kicking but i'm telling you even those 80 chuck norris movies like the octagon and stuff are actually a little bit more thrilling than some of the stuff they try to do here and that's saying something yeah well i don't i don't know if i enjoy any of the action i'm trying to think of like the last yeah because like as soon as the action might get interesting then they morph into the big giant things and then it's just too gleep glops fighting each other and you're like i don't want this uh yeah oatmeal gleep glops right yeah yeah 
yeah, my <laughs> my favorite is uh, I think it was the first Venom film when you get to oh the, yeah. Well, there's our, some there's some gleep glops at the end. Just two black gleep glops fighting each other. Yeah, my my favorite. Where our good friend Randy had described it as watching two omelets just flop against each other, and that was <laughs> your climax. I feel like you get two glossy omelets in this one flopping against each other as a climax. Yeah. There is a. I will say there is a part. There is a time when I was like, that nine foot that nine foot god. It's got a huge dick, right? Oh my god! Like, Gerard Butler <laughs> comes up and the guy looks at him. I'm like, what's that dick look like? Uh, yeah, I never thought that huge, once. Right? Never you didn't thought think that. about the you, Troy. What Troy? What? It's okay. We're friends here. You thought about the dick. It's okay. I didn't think about the dick. <laughs> I I thought about the dick. What? I did. I thought about the dick. Okay. <laughs> I'm not ju- Okay, I'm kind of judging you a little bit, but you know. What's amazing is as long as I've known you, you still surprise me. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, it, I think it's like my trauma from being at like, you know, in, in sports my whole life and being in locker rooms and just seeing a bunch of dick. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. I'm just, um, I just, Troy, he's a you, nine foot God. Did you ever he's think got a God like dick? Did you ever think at any point in time you were oversharing? <laughs> no, I mean, we know I'm like quarter gay, so it's okay. That's true. That's true. Um, what else? What are the thoughts you got on this one? Um, you know, I don't know. Like, even if you like people say, oh, just turn your brain off and enjoy it. Like, even then I think there's, I start looking at film as like not an infinite amount of time. We we have a finite amount of time with film. And like, if you want this sort of thing, there are so much so many better choices. So it's like to even then it's like, I can't even say shut your brain off and watch it. I would say, no, like don't watch this. Cause there's hundreds of films that are much better. Like we talked about mummy one and two are infinitely better. Any of the, uh, I don't, I don't know. Stargate is much better than like, there's so much that's better than this. Yeah. But, but this, I'm kind this, of, this film will trick you a little bit because like, yeah. like I said, there's there's six or seven things that kept me going. Even, and, there's and, 15 good minutes in a two hour and I know, sucks. but when that's that, when that's spaced out, you're you're kind of at the hour mark and going well. And, and we've seen this plenty of times. You watch a film and you go, well, the first part's meh. You get into that last act and you're like, holy cow, where did that come from? And you have a new appreciation for something and its story structure because it's it's trying to do something different, right? Yeah. I and and with Alex. I'm with you on your comments beforehand. You've always got in the back of your mind. This is the guy who did the crow in dark city. So are you going to see aspects of that type of filmmaking through it? And it is there sprinkled through, but this is a film I would never watch again, but I will say I couldn't turn it off because I kept hoping like, Oh, what's, what is the next little tidbit of information or, um, I don't know, visual substance that I'm going to get that makes me feel like I'm watching that same director. And it's there, but when it all said and done, it's like, wow, this was like playing the worst uh, Prince of Persia video game that was ever made. That's yeah. what it felt like. Uh, yes, yes, it is. Um, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, it, at my age, I'm like, I, I know. Every, I was thinking about this the other day. There was there was a movie I was watching. I'm like, well, this will be the last time I ever watch that film again. Like, it, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not something I would show my kids and have this conversation about it's it was enjoyable it was probably a c-grade film 
And I'm like, I am officially done with that one in my life. Whereas I can tell you, yeah, I'll probably watch the Jackie Chan filmography 10 times over between now and when yeah. I'm dead. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like I have a choice. Do I want to watch a, I don't know, maybe like a D plus film or do I want to watch C and above? And like, there are times I want to watch F movies and D movies, but like predominantly I'm looking to see A and B films and C films, but like, that's what I want to do. And I want to recommend people spend their time wisely. And I don't think God, uh, God's of Egypt is spending your time wisely. No. And I, I think it's funny because Warcraft came out same year. We talked about it. I think I gave that one a pass. You didn't. Yeah. But in my defense, I think Warcraft has <laughs> more interesting visual elements and even interesting performances that all this thing had to do was just try a little bit harder and it would have got to that level. I'm not saying Warcraft is an amazing film by any means, but I had a lot more fun with that one than I did with this because it's just, it's missing that spark or that element um, that to me, Warcraft had a little bit more of not, yeah, it, not in trumps or spades, but it, it had more. I mean, Warcraft is a much better film and I think, they're relatively on the same budget. And I think Warcraft looks a hundred times better too. Oh, I agree too. Yeah. Uh, give me a choice. I'm watching Warcraft again. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I never thought I would say, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, it's another example of a film that I probably, I, I can't see myself ever watching it again. Like to your point, there's other classics that I'll, I'll watch big trouble in little China, you know, dire, all of that stuff. Enter the ninja or new stuff that you haven't seen. No, no, no. I agree. Um, yeah. But yeah, this this man, it's it's barely missing the mark. To be quite honest, uh, for me, it's missed it by quite a, a bit. Lot. Okay, all right, that's fair. Well, so to ask the question is 2016's Gods of Egypt is it a bomb? You're going to say 100 percent? Absolutely, yes, 100 percent. Okay, I think it's a bomb too. But man, there's there's five or six things in there that are impressive. But <laughs> like you said, for a two hour runtime, it's really not worth the two hours to get to those 15 minutes yep. to be, to be honest. So I don't know, maybe they'll get it right on gods of Egypt part two or whatever. Like this is the movie that they should actually do Egypt harder, Egypt harder. Yeah. Roger Corman's like, if, if Roger Corman around, I would love to see him do like a cheaper version of this. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Give me some rubber suits. Exactly. Um, okay. We have some listener feedback. Are you ready? Yes, sir. All right. This is from uh, a new listener, Theo. Yeah. So he says, <laughs> Troy. Yeah. I will not do my Bill Cosby. Do not. So. D- no, no. Okay. No. Uh, from wow. Theo. Hi, I'm a new listener and I have one comment and one movie suggestion. First of all, I think there's a small argument to be made for the pest that it at least is adjacent to the undefinable idea of, quote, experimental cinema. Wow, I never thought I would ever read a sentence like that. Okay, I'm going to go on with this. Here we go. People often consider art ho- art house avant-garde to be experimental and forget that it can take many forms. While I did not like the movie nor think it was funny, I am mightily impressed by the energy it has, the broad comedy which certainly does not exist anymore, and the fact that this kind of movie would absolutely never get released in theaters today. Secondly, how about Below from 2002, a critical and financial bomb penned by Darren Aronofsky, 
which I just watched, and it's not a good movie, but an interesting case study. If you get into Aronofsky, you would actually find several bombs because his movies are divisive and rarely make everyone happy. Thanks, Theo. Um, well, Theo, we did Hello, tackle that Aronofsky. submarine movie, right? Yeah. We, yeah. we, we talked a little, I haven't seen it, but we did talk about when we talked about uh, Aronofsky's The Fountain. I mm-hmm. uh, can't remember what episode that is, but what, what do you think about his small argument about the pest? Experimental. I, I could, so I was thinking about it, like is Drop Dead Fred an experimental film as well? <laughs> well it's, it's interesting. So I, I thought about it from this point of view. Was the pest experimental cinema or Drop Dead Fred experimental cinema at the time that it came out? No, I, I don't think so. However, with the changing times and tastes and even what happens within the film studio, the environment, you know, the macroeconomic conditions, whatever you want to say, does society get to a point where uh, <laughs> modern pop culture cinema like The Pest or Drop Dead Fred, does it now become experimental cinema just because the society has changed? Oh, I see what you're saying. It wasn't, ex- it wasn't designed as experimental cinema. It wasn't like a racer head, but it morphed into it. It morphed into it as a result of society changing so much that when you watch it, like is, is at some point now hear me out on this. Let's say in some Orwellian nightmare society. And I hate this term, but let's say everybody gets so politically correct or woke that the pest actually becomes transgressive cinema. Oh, I don't know if I want to live in that world, Troy, but I I could. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but movies can do that, right? Like, I, I kind of agree with them where at some point you can go, it might be experimental cinema now, may not be designed as that, but yeah, Drop Dead Fred, maybe through the lens of a modern viewer who's never seen, you know, <laughs> the young ones or that type of comedy or humor, British humor, do they do they come across that and go, wow, was that experimental cinema at the time? When really it was just it was it was designed as you know commercial fair. Yeah. Oh God, that's a that's a brain buster there. I. I yeah, I didn't know. I that I'm not like I I don't disagree with his take. I think it's an interesting take, and I do like your. Maybe at the time, it's not experimental. Yeah. But the changing of the tides has changed it into experimental because. We don't make things like that anymore. In that case, would like a Blazing Saddles be experiment? You know, like yeah, you can then make an argument for everything. I I don't know. I don't know where where the line is. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I can definitely see it. I can see to a point. I mean, we we've, we've talked about this, especially uh, you know, specifically in comedies. Sometimes it's good that a comedy doesn't age well because it was supposed to be um, kind of pushing the boundaries at the time mm-hmm. it was released. And so are some of these films that we go, Ooh, that didn't age well. We go, yeah, but that was experimental cinema for its time. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe yeah, it's, it's not it's experimental not so- for its time, but it became something because our society has changed enough that it feels experimental. John Hughes, experimental uh, film director. We should, we should ask our film professor this question the next we, time. We she's should, on. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. and then I put I put below on the uh, on the list. Below, yeah, we should. We I think we're going to talk. Actually, uh, Mother is on the list. That's another Mother Aronofsky film. List. Yeah, 
So we can definitely divisive talk about Divisive film. Very divisive film. Yeah, I agree. So Brad, um, Theo, first of all, thanks for listening. Uh, I, ho- I hope you're having fun with the back catalog. There's a lot of different movies to choose from. Uh, Brad, if anybody wants to write in and give us some of these, uh, these takes are fantastic, to be quite honest. Theo's take on the pest is pretty impressive. But if somebody wants to send us their take or do some other recommendations, how do they get a hold of us? Uh, that is notabombpod at gmail.com. Or you can head over to our website. That's notabombpodcast.com. Hit the contact us button. And Troy and I, well, Troy is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter running our uh, social media. Uh, and that's how you get a hold of us. Okay. So should we talk about um, next week's movie? We should, because um, I have. Um, Do you forget about it? No, I, 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 I've been thinking about this film because it's been so long since I've seen it. Um, it is by probably one of the most um, important directors of our time. Yeah, we, we uh, have Brian, talked about other films of his. Yeah, it's uh, it's Brian De Palma's 1990 kind of black comedy film, the bon- the Bonfires of the Vanities. Yes, uh, here's why I picked it. So. You and I both are avid readers and over mine of like the comic book. uh, 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 Oh, I know you read books too. Yeah. So um, summer reading last year, I had finally read the devil's candy, the anatomy of a Hollywood fiasco by Julie Solomon, which really was probably one of the most in-depth books I've read about the making of any film. And it's about bonfire, the vanities and uh, it's it's one of those films that is very interesting for Brian De Palma's career. It's very interesting for Tom Hanks, Melanie Griffith, and Bruce Willis, who are also in it. And uh, I thought it would be really <laughs> – talk about going back and look, looking at a comedy or a dark comedy and then saying, okay, what is <laughs> – how are the jokes in today's society and – does a movie actually have more prevalence now than when it did in its initial release? And I think, I, I don't know, because I haven't seen Bonfire for a while. It's based on a um, very, very popular book of the time. And there was a lot of controversy before when it was you know released because there were some changes made. But it deals with um, class and society in a very uh, dark manner. And I thought it'd be really interesting to watch that film through the lens of 2024. And plus that book was amazing. The stories behind the scenes are ridiculous. So strongly encourage everybody to do that. I mean, it comes three years after the untouchables. That to me is like so unbelievable. Yeah. The, the other thing I had never had a chance to watch, but I'm going to watch it this week is that Brian De Palma documentary that came out a Mm. few years ago. Yes. Yes. So I'm gonna try and catch that too. Oh, and Troy, mm-hmm. uh, you and I are not done recording this week. We oh, are yeah. recording the first episode of Not a Bomb Classics, where we go back and discuss with our buddies Sammy and Jose some of the greatest films of all time. And we are starting with arguably the greatest film of all time, Citizen Kane. That was your pick, right? Charles Foster Kane. Yes, it is. it was my pick. Um so we are kicking January off with that. Yeah, um, I have. We will su- probably was- not get into themes and all this stuff around Citizen Kane because it's been discussed 
uh, ad nauseum, but we'll talk about, you know, how it, how we came into it and, and all that stuff. But yeah. We're oh, I, I have some about... questions for you about that film. Okay. I'll be I mean, honest. And I, I've watched uh, that uh, RKO 281. And uh, did you make... watch that uh, documentary that got nominated for an Academy Award, um, The Battle Over Citizen Kane? I am watching that tomorrow. You Okay. I really need you to watch that. Okay. It's okay. super, uh, it's super interesting. I actually okay. think there's going to be a lot to talk about because again, just like what we were talking about, Bonfire of the Vanities, watching Citizen Kane through the eyes of 2024. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Trump, Trump's America. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Let's just say my family who had never seen Citizen Kane had watched this and they're like, when was this made? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, what's even crazier is the person that this film is based on. And uh, if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, then you need to read about the newspaper moguls of that time. So yeah. it's really, really cool. But yeah, I'm excited about that. And additionally, Troy, you and I have had uh, the same merch stuff in our store for the longest time. I didn't even, but, I, I totally forgot we had a merch store. Yeah. yeah. But in a few little bits, we will have some sweet, sweet new designs that our buddy put together for us. I cannot wait for people to see them. I got the the uh, drafts today, and it made my little dark soul so happy. I, I could not <laughs> believe what I saw. So, more to come there. Yes, a lot of stuff happening this year. We've uh, we've also been in contact with some folks, and um, we've got some pretty amazing special guests coming up too. I think here in the immediate future, right? Yes, we do. Yes. Okay. So, lot lot of stuff going on in twenty twenty four. So we're not slowing down. Uh, Brad, do you want to do the like honorable mention list of other podcasts when they're done with us, who they should go listen to? Of course. Uh, you should listen to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. They just released episode six, six, six. The movie Mark guide, the Beast movie guide doesn't like it. <laughs> no. Oh no. Oh no. Can you imagine doing 666 episodes? And that's like just normal. I think it's over 700 now. So, well, uh, yeah, they've, they've done over a thousand some odd films because for a while there, they were doing two. They films a week. two. Yeah. 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 Uh, watch skip plus Jose has told us that it's coming back. It's coming back relatively soon. Yeah. So stay tuned there. Um, our buddies at the VHS files did release a new episode on YouTube. Um, yes. Yes, they did. So go check that out. Um, who's always releasing new episodes is night of the living podcast. They've been running for like forever. They're like the longest running horror podcast. Um, the back look cinema, uh, the mixtape podcast, which we're still trying to get them to do that. Christian rock yeah, hurry uh, up, guys. Episode. We're waiting. Yeah. Uh, movie struck and Raiders of the podcast. Please listen to all those people. Look, it's, it's, it's hard out here, guys. We need to support all the people that we love. So please go do that. I agree. And uh, if you're watching the VHS files uh, over on YouTube, check out John's channel. Now something a little bit different. Um, he's doing some great stuff over there. I think he's trying to dip his toes into the podcasting world. So um, we're going to have, have actually him on the show here pretty soon. Uh, I think I think that's it, right? We ran through the normal stuff. I, I, believe, I believe we covered all of our bases. Okay, good. It would be cool sometime we just wrote this down. We wouldn't have to guess, but Uh, that sounds silly. Uh, Okay. Well, with that, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for stopping by, downloading the show, listening to our thoughts on the gods of Egypt. Come back next week. Um, We're going to tackle a black comedy 
from Master Legendary Director Brian De Palma. Now, he earns the moniker of Legendary. Okay. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about that. So uh, go watch that movie and come back next week. We'll see you then. Don't lose your head. <laughs>